do have that passage open, Isaiah 40. We had um, 21 to 31 um, read, but um, actually there's so much more in that passage, and we will be looking at a few verses from elsewhere in, in Isaiah 40 as well, so it'd be helpful if you have it um, in front of you. Um, good. Uh, Mexico 2016. I'm sure this. I'm sure this will be familiar to the uh, many triathlon triathlon fans there are in church. Um, 2016, of course, was the World Series in Mexico for triathlon, and you may not. Uh, you may have seen this video online, uh, or maybe live at the time. Uh, the Brownlee brothers. You remember them, heroes of Olympics past. Um, Johnny Brownlee, the younger brother, in 2016 in Mexico, was winning. He had done his swim and his cycle, and he was uh, 9.5 kilometers into his 10-kilometer race at the end, his his run at the end. And it's an amazing, it it looks, if you just Google Johnny Brownlee um, 2016, you'll see this video. And you see him running, and it looks as though he's been in the pub for a few hours rather than doing the triathlon, because his legs are completely gone. And he's trying to keep going, but he's just staggering from side to side, and he's, he's on the verge of falling over and, and collapsing. And round the corner comes the second-placed athlete, uh, who I can't remember at the moment. He goes past him. And then just a second later, Alistair Brownlee, his older brother, comes round the corner, and you see him kind of coming up behind, and you think, what's going to happen? And um, if you haven't seen it, it's wonderful. Alistair, without a second's thought, um, picks up Johnny, scoops him onto his shoulder, and they run together with Alistair carrying the weight really for the last four or five hundred meters of this 10k completing the triathlon and just before the line Alistair then throws Johnny over the line and he finishes in silver position um, with Alistair in bronze it's an amazing it's an amazing bit of video it's uh, I commend it to you it's better than kind of doom scrolling through your social medias or whatever um, so have a look at it if you haven't seen it already and we see in that, in that video the young man, the six-time, Olympic, uh, six-time world champion, the Olympic champion, this young man staggering, unable really to stand. Um, and then we hear these words from Isaiah this morning, even youths grow tired and weary, young men stumble and fall. So if you can picture that young man, Johnny Brownlee, stumbling and falling, exhausted from physical exertion. Just keep that image in your mind. Because Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, we're looking at today and actually for the next few months as we begin this new series in Isaiah 40 to 66. He uses that image of a young man in his physical prime, falling, stumbling, exhausted, weary, weak, actually to describe the people of God. This morning, if you like, to describe us as we gather here as the people of God and in fact it was no wonder the people of God in the 7th century BC before Jesus were staggering and falling over because Isaiah has spent the best part of the first 39 chapters of Isaiah which I also commend to you that would be another preaching series which we'll do another time which would be really hard but probably really good Um, he's spent those first 39 chapters amongst other things declaring God's judgment on his wayward people He prophesies that his judgment is going to fall on them and that uh, foreign powers, Assyrians and then Babylonians, are going to carry them off into exile. Their punishment for forsaking God will be being cut off from their people, their land, their temple, their God. They're going to be outcasts. They're going to be refugees 
in a foreign land. So that's the first 39 chapters. And then we get to chapter 40, which begins with these wonderful words. Verse 1, and these might be familiar to us. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. So if chapters 1 to 39 are the book of judgment, well, chapters 40 to 66, which we're concentrating on, you might be pleased for the moment, uh, is the book of comfort. The book of comfort. As God, through Isaiah, promises restoration to the people of God, as he declares comfort, as he promises a servant who will save, save his people, as he looks forward to a new land, a new earth restored, Comfort my people. So yes, in Isaiah we see God is the Holy One of Israel. That's Isaiah's favourite way of describing God, the Holy One of Israel, who will not and cannot tolerate wickedness and sin. And yet at the same time, Isaiah presents to us God as the lover of his people. Comfort my people. And so um, the message to the Israelites 700 years before Jesus was one of Judgment will not last forever. God's kindness will triumph, he says to his people. You'll be brought back. You'll be restored. You'll worship again. You will know blessing again. And I guess for us today, the message is not dissimilar. If this morning you come and you're tempted to um, wonder if God knows your situation, um, or that if he knows it, is he able to do anything about it. Well, there is hope this morning in Isaiah 40. And I want to break it down really simply for us this morning. Really very simply. We're going to look at the problem and then the solution that we see in Isaiah 40. The problem and the solution. The problem is pretty straightforward. I'll cut straight to the chase. We are frail. Human beings are frail. We are small. We are weak. We are needy. We are sinful. That is the problem. I'm sorry if that offends you this morning, but I believe that is what Isaiah is saying in Isaiah, God is saying in Isaiah 40. We are frail in every which way, whichever way we look at it. Spiritually, we are frail. Have a look at verse 6 of chapter 40, um, where God describes, it says this, All people are like grass, and all human faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. Spiritually, we're short-termers. We easily wilt. We shrivel. We perish. You know? So I can stand up here. You know, flowers look impressive at times, don't they? Beautiful things. Our faithfulness is like the flower. We we look impressive perhaps as a stand-up and preach. Not not that I'm claiming I look impressive. You know what I mean. I look... (laughs) Really don't. But you might be tempted to think, gosh, well, preaching must be spiritually impressive. This reminds me, no, no, human faithfulness is like a flower. We're spiritually frail. We're weak. We're soon chasing after other gods, idols, those things which replace God in our lives. Spiritually frail, offending the God of the universe. So if this morning you come to church and you feel spiritually unworthy for whatever reason, well, this is for you. If you feel spiritually unworthy this morning. Because that's the reality. We are spiritually frail. And we're physically frail. Some of us know this better than others. Um, And you will have different experiences of your physical frailties. Um, Blessed to have lots of young people here. Many of you will not yet know 
their physical frailties that overcome. But look how we're described in verse 21. So the Lord sits above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. We are small. We are easy to crush underfoot like a grasshopper. Or if you don't like grasshoppers, actually in verse 6 and 7 of what we've already seen, we are grass. The grass withers. The flowers fall. We know our physical frailty. As I say, some of us more than others. But as Isaiah reminds us, even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. The strongest become weak. The fittest become ill or tired. The healthiest become ill. The most moral become failures morally. So we are weak spiritually and physically. And if that were not enough for the cheery start to this sermon, I don't know if you noticed the word which crops up a lot in this passage in Isaiah 40 is weary. So uh, even youths grow tired and weary. God will give strength to the weary. Well, weary describes being weighed down by the concerns of the world. So perhaps some of us this morning are in good health, physically and spiritually. That's great if you are. But perhaps at the same time as feeling physically well, we are yet weighed down. We are deeply worried perhaps for our children or uh, worried about financial concerns which are pressing on us or worried about things at work, problems at work. Uh, We may not feel weak, but we are weary. Even youths grow tired and weary. And in fact, I wonder if, if actually this idea of weariness, as I've just described, is kind of the biggest thing for our society at the moment. As we hopefully emerge from these two years of pandemic, is not weariness the thing that most people are feeling? You know, um, people in the uh, NHS, healthcare workers, burnt out from two years of pandemic. Um, teachers having to deal with or react to yet another kind of unannounced change to how they are to run their schools or their classrooms. Uh, Businesses facing another quarter of uncertainty and lower than expected cash flows. It's wearisome. Those who are retired, perhaps, feeling worried about being called back into work or perhaps feeling that their kind of happy years of retirement are draining away through the disappointments of a pandemic. It is wearisome in the extreme. Travel is abated, families separated, many isolated. So physical, spiritual, we're weary with the concerns of the world. Um, The problem for the Israelites 2,700 years ago was physical and spiritual separation from God as a result of their sin and rejection of him. And we really, as we consider our situation this morning, are not too far removed from them 2,700 years ago. We are frail. We are, if you want to bring back that picture, Johnny Brownlee, staggering, faltering, about to collapse. That is the problem. And maybe some of us here resonate with that this morning in some way or other. That's the problem. What is the solution that we see in Isaiah 40? This is going to sound fairly uninspiring, um, but bear with. I think it'll be inspiring by the end. The solution in Isaiah 40 to the problem is better theology. Yay for theology. Now, um, I was rebuked, not rebuked, that's a bit too strong. Someone, someone took issue with me after the nine o'clock saying, I love theology, don't do theology, Dan. I hope you love theology. I am a self-professed theology geek um, and you only need to visit my house to see the silly number of books um, to kind of know that. Um, and actually, theology, when it, when it is disconnected from worship 
And from kind of pointing us to Jesus, it can be harmful, can actually be dishonoring to God. But theology, when it leads us to Jesus and leads us to worship him with, him with all our lives, is the very meaning of our existence. And so when I say that theology is the answer, don't, don't kind of switch off and think, oh, no, no, this is the real deal. Theology really is looking closely at God. And that is what Isaiah gets us to do this morning as we look at Isaiah 40. The solution is, uh, the problem is our frailty. The solution is look closely at God. That's what Isaiah does. Look closely at God this morning. Um, when I was flying about 20 years ago in the United States, um, if, I, was, uh, I was in a little propeller plane, which was much smaller and much older than I would have liked it to have been. It was a replacement plane for the original plane. We were, this is going to sound really grandiose, we were in Aspen, Colorado, um, which is a skiing resort. Uh, and it was the first time I'd ever been skiing. Anyway, the first plane, the flaps had broken. Uh, which, is the, which, as those of you like me who are technical experts on planes, um, will realise that means you can't get sufficient elevation, which when there are mountains in the way is problematic. Um, so we'd, we'd taken off from this original plane, circled round and not managed to get over the mountains to get to Denver. So they'd landed the plane somewhere else and split us up and put us into lots of smaller planes. And I was in this little propeller plane, which I think was built in about 1925. Um, and... Uh, it was all going fine. And then I saw approaching this massive storm cloud and we entered an electrical storm. And I was sat by the window. We were hit by lightning, which I'm told is common, but it was terrifying because it hit the wing and it, for a split second, looked as though the entire wing had been engulfed in flames. And I, <laughs> I no exaggeration, started praying and genuinely thought, this is my last couple of minutes on earth. I was terrified, and the turbulence was unlike anything I've ever had. We were doing these huge drops. It just, it was awful. Now, what do you do in a situation like that? I, and I commend this to you, I look at the cabin crew. You know, they have, they have flown thousands of times, and if there's something to worry about, it'll be shown on their faces. If there's nothing to worry about, it's fine. You know, you, you, look, you hope you're going to look at them, they're chatting, having a cup of tea, and it's all fine. So you just say, okay, I'll just relax and trust it's going to work out. Um, so if you, if, if, you, if you hit turbulence on a plane, look at the cabin crew. Where am I going with this? If you hit turbulence in life, look at God. Look closely at God, says Isaiah 40. Now in this instance, when I was on that plane, I did look at the cabin crew and it wasn't much comfort. Um, <laughs> they, were, they were strapped in, holding onto the sides of the plane like everyone else. It was awful. But they were human, like us. God is not. Um, so the solution to our frailty is to look closely at God. It's better theology to see more clearly who God is. What is God really like? And that is the main thrust of chapter 40. Really, chapter 40 of Isaiah, if you like, is like a massive picture for us of God, which we are to stare at in awe. That's really the appropriate reaction. Look closely at God. Verse 1. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly. Your sin has been paid for. What is the content of this good news which is to be proclaimed to this people? Well, verse 9 tells us, shout to the people. Here is your God. Behold your God. Look at him. Look at God. Here is your God. And that's really the content of chapter 40. It's an overwhelming picture of God's grandeur and majesty. And I won't 
even capture the text, let alone God himself. But let's just spend a few minutes beholding God now. So first of all, behold God, your effortless creator. Let me read verses 21 and 22 again. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. And listen to this. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. Or verse 26. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the stars, uh, the starry host one by one. It's an amazing picture. This sermon is not the time for a debate on creation and how that happened or the relationship between God and science but suffice to say that they are complementary and not opposed in fact as we read descriptions like these verses in Isaiah I would argue that the scientific developments developments that we've seen over the last couple of hundred years have made the majesty the enormity and power of God all the more astonishing as we grasp the vastness of the universe and the intricacy of it So these that we read here aren't descriptions of how God created the world, but pictures designed to illustrate his effortless power. He is the effortless creator. To God, creating the earth and indeed the entire universe is like someone just putting up a tent to sleep in. Um, Though, admittedly, if you looked at me putting up a tent, it would not look effortless. Um, But you you get the picture. For God, it's just a, a canvas. But he goes more, if if the existence of the universe itself is not evidence enough for you of God's uh, majesty, well, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens, says Isaiah. Who created all these? Um, I love this from Nicky Gumbel, uh, leader of a big church in London. He says this when thinking about the stars. Um, On the 20th of August, 1977, Voyager 2, the interplanetary probe launched to observe and transmit to Earth data about the outer planetary system, set off from the Earth, travelling faster than the speed of a bullet, which is... Anyone know? It's 90,000 miles an hour, apparently. Very fast. That was 1977 it set off. In 1989, it reached planet Neptune, 2,700 million miles from the Earth. These numbers are just, I don't understand them. Voyager 2 then left the solar system. It will not come within one light year of any star for 958,000 years. In our galaxy, there are 100,000 million stars like our sun. Our galaxy is one of, and I guess these are estimates from the scientists, I guess these are estimates. Our galaxy is one of 100,000 million galaxies. And in a throwaway line in Genesis, the writer tells us he also made the stars. Such is his power, comments Nicky Gumbel. Behold your God, the effortless creator. That is what Isaiah 40 is showing us, the effortless creator creator but also the ultimate authority have you got someone in mind when we think of the ultimate authority someone who just carries that aura you know uh, for me it's dr evans who was the headmaster of my school he was a little welsh man um, who i somewhat unkindly at the nine o'clock said probably had small man syndrome and then commented that i maybe i'm not the one to make those comments um, but he was the kind of bloke who always wore his academic gown and uh, and he insisted on colleagues and parents as well as pupils calling him Dr Evans or headmaster he was never Philip by the way if you you are watching Dr Evans you were a very effective headmaster Um, because he would he would sweep into the assembly hall with 850 teenage boys in it and immediately we were silent he had an aura of authority 
And yet, look at verse 23. He brings, this is God, brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. See, God is the ultimate source of authority. He's the ultimate wisdom and authority. Everything that is wise and authoritative comes from him and is answerable to him. So he is the effortless creator, the ultimate authority. And finally and beautifully, he is moral perfection. Because if you think about it, power and authority are only good if they are allied with goodness and justice. Or in a word, holiness. Verse 25, God says, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. And apparently there in the, in the Hebrew, there is no definite article. So it could be translated like this. Who is my equal, says holy. I like that. Holiness is so who God is that it's his name. Who is my equal, says holy. God is moral perfection. No wonder then that Isaiah is in our face. Did you notice that? Two or three times in Isaiah 40, just ask these questions. Um, he says, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you? Do you not understand? Have you not, have you not grasped this? Can you not see? Have you not looked closely at God recently? Asks Isaiah, behold your God. The answer to our frailty is to look closely at God. And with all that in mind, we can now grasp the key in those amazing verses which we, which we finished with in Isaiah 40, um, which you probably were familiar with. Look at verse 27 onwards. Aren't these amazing words? Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He will not grow tired. The creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. So he says, you're frail. You're sinful. You're weak. You're weary. Well, look who isn't. Look who isn't. He will not grow tired or weary. Verse 29, he will give strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Verse 31, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Now remember, theology is only good when it leads us to worship. So notice the key here. And I think this is absolutely pivotal for us in our lives right now. Who is it that receives strength? Who is it that is renewed? Who is it that will run uh, and, and not grow weary? Who will soar on wings like eagles? Who is it? Well, it is those who give up their pretensions of power or strength. It is those who repent from that kind of so often unseen sin of self-reliance. It is those who know themselves to be weak and weary. And so, says Isaiah here, it is those who, looking closely at God, put their hope in him. That's what it means to put your hope in the Lord. It is those who've reached the end of themselves, the end of their capacity. It is those who know their own self-deception and place themselves fully in the arms of God. You take it on, God, because I can't. I cannot do it. As Paul would put it in 2 Corinthians 12, remember these famous words, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, when you admit your complete weakness, my complete power is given to you. Is that not what is happening in Isaiah 40? The 16th century theologian, back to theology, German uh, theologian Martin Luther expressed it like this. It's lovely, this. Listen to these words of Martin Luther. It is as if God were saying, you must be weary and emptied 
so that there is no way out for you. First, you must become nothing. Then consolation and strength will come. And then he says this, this happened to me, Martin Luther, who against my will came up against the whole world and then God helped me. Isn't that it? Really, that's life. And then God helped me. God is more willing to help, to strengthen, to renew than Alistair Brownlee was to his younger brother Johnny at the end of the 10K as he scooped him up and carried him over the line. And of course, in fact, that is literally what God did in a far more costly way. Because in Jesus, God demotes himself, not from gold or silver, but from the throne of heaven to scoop up those who know themselves to be weak and weary. And instead of running over the line himself, he gives up his right of victory and he throws us over the line in his place. And so as we have that image in our minds, let me close with these words of this wonderful hymn, which might be familiar to some of you. I heard the voice of Jesus say, it's an old hymn. I heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. Lay down, O weary one, lay down your head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, so weary, worn and sad. And I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. So with those words of comfort, what could possibly stop us from saying this morning, yes, Lord, help me, forgive me, strengthen me, I'm weak, please would you be strong? And I'd encourage you to do that now as we uh, respond to him.